The Creep Show Chronicles contains graphic and disturbing content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. And I'm Sam. Welcome to episode 89 of the Creepshow Chronicles and our first video episode. Yep, see how it goes. See yeah. how it goes. I'm testing it out. Yeah. What are we talking about today? Well, we are talking about the co-ed killer. So we're talking about Ed, Edmund Kemper, Ed Kemper. Okay, so he is, I, I always said that like Eileen Warnos and like Jeffrey Dahmer were my favorite serial killers, but I think he is my favorite serial killer now. Because he is just, he's the perfect serial killer because he is so, he's not suspect. Like, he is just such a likable guy. And, like, I watched you, interviews. You wouldn't suspect him. Exactly. To do. Exactly. Oh, he was such a nice guy. Yep. My resources are from Real Crime on YouTube. I don't know if Real Crime is who put on the interview, like the documentary, but it, the YouTube channel was Real Crime. And then also Wikipedia. So we start in Santa Cruz, California, in a small beach town. Uh, it's also a retirement town. It is a nice area, or it was a nice area, until bodies started showing up on beaches. Oh, nice. Innocent women were starting to go missing and starting to report being sexually assaulted and even dismembered. I'm sure they weren't reporting that they were dismembered, but you know. There was right. reports of women being dismembered. Uh, there was an elusive killer, and he was right under police noses. So in 1965, the university opened in Santa Cruz, and it was the age of Aquarius, the hippies, the all that, you know, the peace, love, and happiness movement. And although um, here, there was not much peace, love, and happiness uh, to be had, especially for the Santa Cruz Police Department. So former detective Michael Alufi from the Santa Cruz Sheriff's Department said that people were coming from all over the country to live free and liberated as a hippie. And in 1972, out of nowhere, bodies started washing up on the shore. There were people in town that, I mean, they were scared, obviously. Oh yeah, I'm like, where are they all? Wait, what the fuck? Yeah. There's a weird kind of plague shit going on. Yeah. So there were a lot of missing people, um, mostly young co-ed hitchhikers, because back in that time, everybody hitchhiked. You hitchhiked uh, everywhere. Oh, you, you go anywhere out there, you fucking fall. Nobody's going to yeah. know it. Mm-hmm. Break your leg, your shit. Mm-hmm. So there was a severed head found in the mountains, just a skull and nobody. The media dubbed the killer the co-ed butcher. So some of the victims of the co-ed butcher were 18 year old fresno college student anita lucessa she vanished 18 year old co-ed mary ann pesh she disappeared 15 year old ballet dancer aiko ku was abducted 18 year old cindy shawl went missing 23 year old rosalind thorpe vanished from the college and 21 year old student allison Liu disappeared and police were completely clueless as to who's doing it, where they are. So when when police saw a person who looked to be under 18, they would pick them up, they would take them to juvie, 
not because they were in trouble or anything, but they were trying to protect them. However, a lot of the younger people and the hippies and the co-ed said that they were infringing on their right to hitchhike, which at the time it was, I don't know if it's still legal to hitchhike or not, but at the time it was legal to hitchhike. They, every time that a person went missing, the police were afraid that it was another homicide victim. So there were a lot of drugs during the hippie movement. So initially investigators just thought maybe it had something to do with that. Maybe they were like drug deals gone bad. Maybe they were overdoses and people just dumped the bodies. Mm -hmm. Who knows? But in April 1973, the sheriff's office received a dealer's record of sale um, from a purchase of a gun. So one of the records clerks brought a file to a file card to investigators. Terry Medina said that a guy tried to buy a gun and his record had been expunged but they could see through the blackout that he was involved in a murder in Madera County. So he was known as Big Ed. He was 25 years old, 6 foot 9 and 280 Jesus! Pounds. Are you Viking? <laughs> his name was Edmund Kemper. He was a regular at a cop bar called The Jury Room and he would hang out with the cops and just talk to them and i mean he was he was very personable with the police then the cops mm. would you know go there after work and get a drink and talk to their coworkers and right so jim connor had said that ed had a great personality was very friendly very outgoing and he was a likable guy i watched a bunch of inter- interviews and of ed like 1984 i believe he like a lot of prisoners, he found Jesus and became a born-again Christian. Yeah, that's what mm-hmm. my family said. And he did an interview about that. And I can tell you, like I said, my brother was in prison for 25 years. Um, my brother, before he went to prison, was a Satanist. And then he found Jesus, and he's out of prison now, and he's a Satanist again, so. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you were just pulling the whole, oh, I found Jesus. They do that for their... Yeah, they, they found Jesus prison. so that they can, so they can excel get. in prison. Mm-hmm. So, you might be asking, who is Ed Kemper? So, Ed, Edmund Emil Kemper III was born weighing 13 pounds. Oh my God, his poor mom's vagina. Fuck his mom's vagina. Okay? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh God, yeah. So, we'll get to it. Um, okay. He was born thir- uh, 13 pounds on December 18th, Fuck. 1948, in Burbank, California. His mother often complained about his father's menial job as an electrician. Wait, what year was he born? 48. Oh, 48. Yeah. Uh, his father was a World War II veteran and said that suicide missions and wartime and the atomic bomb testing were nothing compared to living with Clarnell, his mother, Ed- Edmund's mother, and that she affected him more than 396 days and nights of fighting on the front line. That's how horrible Ed's mom was. That's why I said fuck her vagina. His parents divorced in 1957, and he moved to Montana. He moved to Montana with his mother. So very early on, he exhibited antisocial behavior, such as torturing insects and cruelty to animals. At the age of 10, he, and I'm sorry... I apologize to everyone listening and you. At the age of 10, he buried a cat alive, Mm. and once it died, he dug it up, decapitated it, and mounted its head on a spike. You little fucking bastard. Uh, Yeah. 
So he later uh, stated that he derived pleasure from lying about the cat. At 13, he killed his mother's cat when he started favoring his sister over him. And he kept pieces of it in his closet until his mother found it. So Kemper had a dark fantasy life. He performed rites with his younger sister's dolls that culminated in his removing their heads and hands. And on one occasion, when his elder sister, Susan, teased him uh, uh, and asked why he did not try to kiss his teacher, he replied, if I kiss her, I'd have to kill her first. Ew, you yeah. sick son of a bitch. He also recalled that as a young boy, he would sneak out of his house and armed with his father's bayonet, go to his second grade teacher's house to watch her through the windows. He stated in later interviews that some of his favorite games to play as a child were gas chamber and electric chair, in which he asked his younger sister to tie him up and flip an imaginary switch. He would then uh, tumble over and rise on the floor, pretending that he was being executed by gas inhalation or electric shock. So he also had uh, close to death experiences as a child. Once when his elder sister tried to push him in front of a train, and another time when she successfully pushed him into the deep end of a swimming pool where he almost drowned. Damn it! So his whole fucking family is just fizzed Fizzed He had a severely dysfunctional relationship with his mother, a neurotic, domineering alcoholic who frequently belittled, humiliated, and abused him. Carnell often made her son sleep in a locked basement because she feared that he would harm his sisters, regular, regularly mocked for his long, large size, in a phone conversation to Kemper's father, unaware that her son had been eavesdropping, she also refused to show him affection out of fear that she would turn him gay. And she told young Kemper that he reminded her of his father and that no woman would ever love him. My fucking God. Carnell Kemper, fuck you. I hope you're burning in hell. Not, I'm not defending Ed, but like, he was a fucking kid. Like, yeah. he wasn't as No wonder he yet. was fucked up. Yes, he needed help. Kemper later described her as a sick, angry woman, and it has been postulated that she suffered from borderline personality disorder, which... Well, you think? Yeah. So at the age of 14, Kemper ran away from home in an attempt to reconcile with his father in Van Nuys, California. Once there, he learned that his father had remarried and had a stepson. Kemper stayed with his father for a short while until the elder Kemper sent him to live with his paternal grandparents. Um, they lived in a ranch on the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains, about two miles west of the town of North Fork. Kemper hated living in North Fork. He described his grandfather as senile and said that his grandmother was constantly emasculating him and his grandfather. He did make friends for a short while with a man named uh, David Mike Dozer, who lived a short distance away and was about the same age as Ed. However, he made friends for a short while with David Dozer, who lived a short distance away and was about the same age as uh, Ed. And according to Dozer and his mother, Elena, he stopped spending time with Kemper, whom he called Guy, after the Dozer's cat and Elena's pillowcase went missing. Dozer, I wonder what happened to the cat and the pillowcase. Mm. So Dozer disavowed any knowledge of what happened to the cat and the pillowcase. So on August 27, 1964, at the age of 15, Kemper was sitting at the kitchen table with his grandmother, Maud Matilda Huey Kemper, when they had an argument. Enraged, Kemper stormed off and retrieved a rifle that his grandfather had given to him for hunting. The rifle had been confiscated because he used it uh, to needlessly shoot animals. 
He then re-entered the kitchen and fatally shot his grandmother in the head before firing twice more into her back. His grandmother's last words were, Oh, you'd better not be shooting the birds again. Some accounts mention, he's shooting you, old bird. Uh, yeah, you. <laughs> some accounts mention that he also sever, suffered multiple post-mortem stab wounds with a kitchen knife. When Kemper's grandfather, Edmund Ke- Emil Kemper Sr., returned from the grocery store, Kemper went outside and fatally shot him in the driveway next to his car. He was unsure what to do next, so he phoned his mother, who told him to contact the local police. Kemper did so and waited to be taken into custody. After his arrest, Kemper said that he just wanted to see what it felt like to kill grandma and said that he killed his grandpa so that he would not have to find out that his wife was dead. Also so that he wouldn't be angry with Ed. So psychiatrist Donald Lundy, who interviewed Kemper during adulthood, wrote, In a way, he had avenged the rejection of both his father and his mother. Kemper's crimes were deemed incomprehensible for a 15-year-old to commit, and court psychiatrists diagnosed him as paranoid schizophrenic. He was sent to um, a Tescadero State Hospital, a a maximum security facility in San Luis uh, Obispo County that houses mentally ill convicts. So at a Tescadero Youth Authority, psychiatrists and social workers disagreed with the court psychiatrist's diagnosis. Their report stated that Kemper showed no uh, flight of ideas, no interference with thought, no expressions of delusions, hallucinations, no evidence of bizarre thinking. They also observed him to be intelligent and introspective. Initial testing measured his IQ at 136 and over two standard deviations above average. So Kemper was re-diagnosed with a less severe condition, a personality trait disturbance, passive-aggressive type. Later on this time at Atascadero, he was given another IQ test, which gave an even higher result of 145. So Kemper endeared himself to psychiatrists by being a model prisoner, and he was trained to administer psychiatric tests to other inmates. One of his psychiatrists later said that he was a very good worker, and and this is not typical of a sociopath. He really took pride in his work. Kemper also became a member of the JCs while in Atascadero and claimed to have developed some new tests and new scales on the Minnesota uh, multifacet personality and inventory, specifically on overt hostility scale during his work with Atascadero psychiatrists. After his second arrest, Kemper said that being able to understand how these tests function allowed him to manipulate his psychiatrist, admitting that he learned a lot from sex offenders whom he administered tests to. For example, they told him that to avoid leaving witnesses, it was best to kill a woman after raping her. So this motherfucker, okay, so he's in he's in this Atascadero youth facility, right? Mm-hmm. And he has he's fifteen, right? And he's he's giving tests. He's, he's helping the psychiatrist by giving other inmates psychiatry tests. He is learning how to be a better criminal, how to be a better rapist, and how to be a better killer mm-hmm. by doing this. And like they said, he was so manipulative and so, like, he was just so smooth and everything that he was able to, like, fool the fucking psychiatrist and make them think that he was totally fine. That's why he's my favorite serial killer, because he is just crazy cuckoo banana sandwich okay so on december 18 1969 his 21st birthday kemper was released on parole from a tescadero 
against the recommendation of psychiatrists at the hospital. He was released into the care of his mother, who had remarried and taken the surname Stan uh, Strandberg. She divorced again, and then she lived just like a short drive away from the college where she worked as an administrative assistant at the University of California, Santa Cruz. So Kemper later demonstrated further to his psychiatrist that he was rehabilitated, and on November 29, 1972, his juvenile records were permanently expunged. The last report from his probation psychiatrist read, quote, It is my opinion that he has made a very excellent response to the years of treatment and rehabilitation, and I would see no psychiatric reason to consider him to be any danger to himself or any member of society. And since it may allow him more freedom as an adult to develop his potential, I would consider it reasonable to have a permanent expunction of his juvenile records. And he hoped to become a police officer, though he was rejected because of his size. I mean, he wasn't like fat or anything. He was just really tall. I'm not saying that he should have become a police officer because we have enough dick cops around here. At, you know, six foot nine inches, he, uh, he got the nickname Big Ed. He maintained relationships with Santa Cruz police officers despite his rejection to the force. And he became a self-described friendly nuisance. <laughs> he worked a series of menial jobs before gaining employment with the California Department of Transportation. Yeah. Kemper worked a series of menial jobs before gaining employment with the California Department of Transportation. And during this time, his relationship with Clarnell remained toxic and hostile. The two have infrequent arguments with, uh, that their neighbors often overheard. Kemper later described the arguments that he had with his mother around this time, stating that uh, my mother and I started night... Nope. My mother and I started right in on horrendous battles, just horrible battles, violent and vicious. They fought over everything. Like, literally everything. It sounds like my fucking family. Well, someone in my family. I know, right? So, when he saved enough <laughs> money, he moved out to live with a friend in Alameda. And he still complained of being unable to get away from his mom because he ended up having to, like, ask her for help financially, you know? Oh, so, fuck that. No. Yeah. I would rather rot in the fucking street. <laughs> no, I don't need no help. I'm fine. So this re um, ended up in him returning to live with his mom in Aptos at Santa Cruz Beach. Kemper met a student from Turlock High School to, went to whom he became engaged to in 1973. The engagement was broken off after Kemper's second arrest and his uh, fiance's parents requested that her name not be revealed to the public. So... While he was working for the Department of Transportation, he was hit by a car uh, while riding a, a motorcycle oh, that he had recently purchased, and his arm was badly injured, and he received a total of 15000 settlement in a civil lawsuit. I don't know what that is today. Probably close to 100000 As he was driving around in his 1969 Ford Galaxy that he bought with his part of the settlement, settlement money, he noticed a large number of young women hitchhiking and began storing plastic flags, knives, blankets, and handcuffs in his car. So then he began picking up young women and peacefully letting them go. According to Kemper, he picked up around 150 hitchhikers before he felt homicidal sexual urges, which he called his little zappies, and began acting on them. Dude, you're fucking weird. Yeah. So he, between 72 and 73, he killed eight people, all women in their teens or early 20s, with the exception of his mother and her best friend, which he did kill. Trigger warning, by the way. Trigger warning. Uh, he would pick up female students who were hitchhiking and then take them to isolated areas where he would shoot, stab, and smother or strangle them. 
He would then take their bodies back to his home where he decapitated them, performed um, sex, cut off their heads and have sex with their heads and sexual intercourse with their corpses and then dismembered them. So during his 11-month murder spree, Kemper killed five college students, one high school student, his mother, his mother's best friend. Uh, Kemper has stated in interviews that he often searched for victims after having arguments with his mother and that she refused to introduce him to women attending the university where she worked at. He recalled that she would say, you're just like your father. You don't deserve to get to know them. The young women were surrogates for his ultimate target, his mom. So on May 7th, 1972, Kemper was driving in Berkeley when he picked up two 18-year-old students from Fresno State University, Marianne Pesch and Anita May Luchessa, with the pre uh, pretense of taking them to Stanford University after driving for an hour he managed to reach a secluded wooded area near Alameda, with which he was familiar with from his work with the highway department. So without alerting his passengers that he had changed directions from where they wanted to go, it was there that he handcuffed Pesh and locked Luchessa in the trunk. He then stabbed and strangled Pesh to death, subsequently killing Luchessa in a similar manner. Kemper later confessed that while handcuffing Pe uh, Pesh, he brushed the back of his hand on one of her breasts and it embarrassed him and he said, whoops, I'm sorry. Even though he said, I'm sorry, he murdered her a couple minutes later. Were you saying sorry as you were killing her? <laughs> Kemper put both the women's bodies in the trunk and returned to his apartment. <laughs> he was stopped on the way by a police officer for having a broken tail light, but the officer did not direct detect the corpses in the car. Kemper's roommate was not at home, so he took the bodies into his apartment where he photographed and had sexual intercourse with the naked corpses before dismembering them. He then put the body parts into plastic bags, which he later abandoned near Loma Prieta Mountain before disposing of Pesh's and Luchessa's severed heads in a ravine. Kemper engaged in irromatio, which is having sex with a decapitated head, I believe. So in August of that year, Pesh's skull was found in the mountains. On the evening of September 14, 1972, Kemper picked up 15-year-old dance student Aiko Ku, but she decided to hitchhike, or she decided to hit hitchhike to a dance class. He again drove her to a remote area, pulled a gun out on her, and um, <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> He's not funny, but it is funny. Accidentally locked himself out of the car. You're the worst fucking criminal ever. <laughs> However, Ku let him back inside, despite the fact that the gun was still in the car. Back, she was 15. She was scared, 15, you know. Back inside the car, he proceeded to choke her unconscious, rape her, and kill her. So, he packed Ku's body into the trunk and went to a nearby bar to have a few drinks. And then he returned to his apartment. He later confessed that after exiting the bar, he opened the trunk of his car, admiring his catch like a fisherman, and then at the apartment, he had sexual intercourse with the corpse, dismembered, disposed, um, similar manner as the two other victims. Ku's mother called the police to report her disappearance and put up hundreds of flyers asking for information, but she did not receive any responses um, regarding her daughter's location or status. So on January 7th, 1973, Kemper was driving around Cabrillo College campus when he picked up 18-year-old Cynthia Shaw, or Cindy Shaw. He drove to a wooded area and fatally shot her. He placed her body in the trunk of the car, drove to his mother's house where he kept her body hidden in the closet in his room overnight. 
When his mother left for work the next morning, he had sex with the corpse, uh, removed the bullet from Shaw's corpse, then dismembered and decapitated her in his mother's bathtub. Nice. So then he kept Shaw's severed head for several days, regu regularly engaging in Irimacho with it, and then he buried it in his mother's garden facing upward toward her bedroom and after his arrest, he stated that he did this because his mother always wanted people to look up to her. So there was a heightened suspicion of serial killers prying on hitchhikers, and students had been advised to accept rides from only cars with university stickers on them. So, because his mom worked at the university, he was able to obtain a sticker, and he encountered 23-year-old Rosaline Thorpe and 20-year-old Allison Liu, on the US UCSC campus. Uh, um, according to Kemper, Thorpe entered his car first, reassuring Lou to also enter. He first fatally shot Thorpe and then Lou, and then his pistol wrapped their bodies, or with his pistol, and then wrapped their bodies in blankets. And he again brought the victims back to the mother's house, did all the stuff with them. So when questioned in an interview as to why he decapitated the victims, he explained that the head trip fantasies were a bit like a trophy you know the head is where everything is at the brain the mouth the eyes that's the person I remember being told as a kid you can cut off the head and the body dies the body is nothing after the head is cut off well that's not quite true there's a lot left in a girl's body without the head so April 20th 73 after coming home from a party 15 year old 15 52 year old Clarinelle uh, Strandberg awakened her son with her arrival while sitting in her, uh, her bed reading a book, she noticed Kemper entered the room and said to him, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. Kemper replied, no, good night. He then waited for her to fall asleep and then sneaked back into her room to bludgeon her with a claw hammer and slit her throat with a pin, uh, yeah, pin knife. He then decapitated her and engaged with Aramacho with his mother's head. He then used it as a dartboard <laughs> afterwards. Uh, Kemper stated that he put her head on a shelf and screamed at it for an hour. So then he smashed her face in. He also cut out her tongue and larynx and put them in the garbage disposal. However, the garbage disposal could not break down through the vocal cords and ejected the tissue back into the sink. And that seemed appropriate, he said. As much as she bitched and screamed and yelled at me over so many years. It's not funny. It's not. But 5.15 a.m. Saturday. No need for her to suffer anymore at the hands of this horrible butcherous murderer. It was quick, asleep, the way they wanted it. The way I wanted it. Not sloppy and incomplete, gents. Just a lack of time. I got things to do. Um, that was the note that was left that police found. So after... Kemper fled the scene. He drove to he drove nonstop to Pueblo, Colorado, after taking caffeine pills, and st stayed awake for the over one thousand mile journey. He had three guns, hundreds of rounds of ammunition in his car. He believed that he was the target of an act of manhunt. After not hearing any news on the radio about the murders of his mother and uh, Hallett, when he arrived in Pueblo, he found a phone booth and called the police. He basically confessed to everything that he did. Several hours later, uh, he called again asking to speak to an officer he personally knew. He confessed to that officer of killing his mother and Howlett, and then he waited for the police to arrive and take him to custody. Upon his capture, Kemper also confessed to the murders of six students. 
When he was asked later in an interview why he turned himself in, he said, the original purpose was gone. It wasn't serving any physical or real emotional purpose. It was just a pure waste of time. Emotionally, I couldn't handle it much longer. Toward the end there, I started feeling the uh, folly of the whole damn thing, and at the point of near exhaustion, near collapse, I just said to hell with it and called it all off. So he was indicted on eight counts of first-degree murder on May 7, 1973. He was assigned the chief public defender of Santa Cruz County attorney Jim Jackson. Uh, due to Kemper's explicit and detailed confession, his counsel only option was to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. Kemper twice tried to commit suicide in custody. His trial went ahead on October 23rd, 1973. So he, you know, went through all the psychiatry bullshit and all that stuff. So there was a, we, I don't know if it's 100% true or not, but there is, um, it's possible that he may have like sliced flesh from the legs of his victims and ate it. But I couldn't find Cut. out that that was 100% true. Okay. Um, but then it also says that he did slice the flesh off the legs. He cooked it and consumed the strips of flesh in a casserole. That's disgusting. <laughs> Nevertheless, for uh, Fort determined that Kemper was fully con uh, cognizant, cog cognizant, whatever, in each case and stated that Kemper enjoyed the prospect of the infamy associated with being labeled a murderer. Kemper later recanted the confession of cannibalism. So that's why I say, I don't know if that's actually true or not. Right, take a grain, with, a grain of salt, peeps. Yeah, yeah. So on November 1st, he took the stand. He testified that he killed the victims because he wanted them for myself, like possessions, and attempted to convince the jury that he was insane based on the reasoning that his actions could have been committed only by someone with an aberrant mind. He said that two beings inhabited his body and that when the killer personality took over it was kind of like blacking out so on november 8 73 the six man six woman jury deliberated for five hours before declaring kemper stain and guilty on all accounts he asked for the death penalty requesting death by torture of course that's what he would want of course he would there was a uh, moratorium placed on capital punishment in california so he didn't get the death penalty but he did get life um, seven years to life for each count with these terms to be served concurrently and was sentenced to the California Medical Facility in uh, Vacaville or Vacaville. In the California Medical Facility, Kemper was incarcerated in the same prison block as other notorious criminals such as Herbert Mellon and Charles Manson. Kemper showed, showed, Kemper showed particular disdain for Mullen, who committed his murders at the same time and in the same area as Kemper. He described Mullen as just a cold-blooded killer, killing everybody he saw for no good reason. Kemper manipulated and physically intimidated Mullen, who at 5 feet 9 inches was more than a foot shorter than him. Kemper stated that Mullen had a habit of singing and bothering people when someone tried to watch TV. He said, so I threw water on him to shut him up. Then he was a good boy. I'd give him peanuts, and Herbie liked peanuts. That was the um, that was effective because pretty soon he asked permission to sing. That's called behavior modification treatment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so Ed Kemper has at the time of this article personally spent over five thousand hours narrating books with several hundred completed recordings to his name. 
Kipper was retired from these positions in 2015 after he experienced a stroke and was declined or declared medically disabled. Oh shit! He received his first rules of uh, first rules violation report in 2016 for failing to provide a urine sample. An audio book that you're listening to, it could be being read by Ed Kemper. That is crazy. I literally want to go find a book that is read by him. I, I know. Want... I want to ask Pat, like, so have you listened to any of Ed Kemper's? Right. Uh, while in prison, Kemper has participated in a number of interviews. Um, like I said earlier, the one from 84 where he was talking about becoming a born-again Christian. Kemper is forthcoming about the nature of his crimes. He has stated that he participated in the interviews to save others like himself from killing. At the end of his murder... No apparent motive interview. He said, there's somebody out there that is watching this and hasn't done it, but they want to and rages inside of them and they struggle with the feeling or is so sure that they have it under control, but they need to talk somebody about it, like trust somebody enough to sit down and talk. At least he is using his power, we'll say, not really power, but at least he's using his power for good. You know, right. he's trying to put out there, he understands that he has problems. Mm-hmm. He, at least he understands that. Not a yeah. lot of people, sorry, what? Oh, no, go ahead. Not a lot of people understand that they have problems. You know, they think that they're perfectly fine and they're sane, but... Like, it took me a while to realize, oh my god, oh Jesus, yeah. So, uh, Kemper was first eligible for parole in 1979. He was denied parole that year, as well as at parole hearings in 80, 81, and 82, he subsequently waived his right to a hearing in 85. He was denied parole at his uh, 1988 hearing where he said, Society is not ready in any shape or form for me. I can't fault them for that. He was denied parole again in 91, 94. He was waived his right to a hearing in 97 and in 2002. He attended the next hearing in 2007 when, or where he was again denied parole. Prosecutor Simmons said, we don't care how much of a model prisoner he is because of the enormity of his crimes. Kemper waived his right to a hearing again in 2012, and he was denied parole in 2017 and is next eligible in 2024. So the fact that he was only discovered due to his own confession um, and that there wasn't a hint of suspicion around him is crazy and an indication of how integrated he had become with the police. He is one of the scariest serial killers, I think, because of how intelligent he is and self-aware. His arrest was another example of his ability to control people. He turned himself in. His arrest was another example of his ability to control people. He controlled whatever he turned himself in. He controlled what he killed. He controlled when he was caught. I'm not sure if that makes him the smartest person on the planet or the biggest narcissist, but will hopefully never be paroled. So that is the story of Ed Kemper. Thanks for listening to The Creep Show. I'm Sam. And I'm Ashley. Stay creepy. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Creep Show Chronicles. Follow us on social media and share our show so we can grow our audience.